Me okay? Okay. Joey didn't want to speak this evening, but she's been told she's got to speak, so... <laughs> so I'm going to do the first half of what I planned to do, and then pass over to Joey. <laughs> but I wanted to start by reading Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 from the message, just to kind of, uh, I guess, set the scene. Um, this is from the message, so it's... Uh, slightly different translation to some, but I just want to read this uh, from Ephesians 1. I, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you, faithful Christians in Ephesus, I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives by God our Father and our Master Jesus Christ. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He is the Father of our Master Jesus Christ, and he takes us to the high placings of blessing in him. Before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He has settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And what pleasure he took in planning all this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son, And because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are free people. We're free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, we're abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making for each of us. He set it all out before us in Christ. He had a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living and part of the overall purpose he is working out in every one of us here tonight. It's in you, sorry, it's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, the message of salvation, you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first instalment of what's to come. It's a reminder that we'll all get everything God has planned for us, a praising and a glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus, and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop giving thanks to God. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask the God, our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do, grasping the immensity of this glorious way of life, that he has Christians for us all. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us, who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. So I kind of felt that was set the scene because you know, the Lord has definitely had his hand on my life from the very earliest times. And I know that I was prayed for um, when I was in my mother's womb, both my parents were Christians. And um, 
so I haven't got one of the testimonies where I spent years in the wilderness. Um, I was brought up in a Christian home. Um, both my parents were Christians. I was brought up to pray every evening. We went to church twice every Sunday. That was compulsory from the earliest days. And when I got to age, the age of eight or nine, I had to go to crusaders in the afternoon as well. So, um, and I went to a prep school. So Monday to Saturday was school, six days a week. I had three hours homework every night from the age of about seven or eight. Um, and Sunday was going to church in the morning, crusaders in the afternoon, and then Sunday evening church. And then when I got to about 11 or 12 youth group after that. So that was my life. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but Jerry found the other day one of my old Bibles and... Um, Actually, um, I started going to Crusaders at the age of uh, nine years old and um, I went there for um, two years and on my hundredth attendance, and I had forgotten this, but on my hundredth attendance, it was the day before my 11th birthday and they presented this Bible to me the day before I was 11 for going to Crusaders for a hundred times consecutively. And on that day, I was called before all the, all the others at the class and asked if I wanted to give my life to the Lord. And I was put, put on the spot. Um, and I was given this piece of card, and I literally forgot, and Jerry found it the other day. And um, I was asked to sign this, but I believed it. So this is what I signed on the day before my 11th birthday. Um, I acknowledge my need of salvation, realising that I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I now humbly accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Saviour, believing that he died to save me and lives to keep me and I accept the free gift of the forgiveness of all my sins through Christ's cleansing blood and therefore I desire to confess Jesus Christ as my Saviour and Lord to serve him faithfully to the end so that's what I signed on the day before my 11th birthday and uh, so I guess that's when I kind of became a Christian that's why I kind of first signed my um, colours to the mast and um, really felt the Lord wanted me to actually read this Bible so I actually, I, I found this as well in the Bible, um, and I wrote out every book of the Bible, with every chapter, and I started reading the Bible for the first time at the age of 11, and I crossed every chapter till I'd actually read the whole Bible, and I'd forgotten I'd done that. So by the age of uh, 12 and a half, I'd read the Bible for the first time. Um, so... Uh, so that's kind of really the sort of the foundations. My father used to go and he, he had, a, had a business, but he used to go and preach in the evenings at little village churches and drag me along sometimes. And he was also involved in Youth for Christ and organising missions. And he organised a Don Double mission. I don't know if any of you remember Don Double from the age of old. And uh, he was responsible for organising that. And I went forward to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when I was about 14. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, and Dad also being in business, he taught me about accounts, and so I had to keep accounts of my pocket money from the age of about 12 or 13. I had to do double entry bookkeeping, so I had to keep my income and expenditure. Um, <laughs> so I've actually got recorded everything I've ever spent from the age of 12, and I still got it. Every, every Mars bar, every sandwich, every packet of crisps, I've got it recorded from the age of 12. And, but I also had the tithes as well. So I've also tithed from the age of 13 and I've kept the record of that so I've t tithed literally since I was 13 never missed it once. So those are the kind of foundations that I had. So, um, so yeah, so I guess it's all done and sorted. I became a Christian and lived happily ever after. But, uh, <laughs> but it didn't quite go like that. Um, 
I went to public school, which I hated, um, six days a week. Um, I didn't like the regime. I didn't like the uh, quite a brutal regime, the, you know, the sort of punishment of being whipped. I never was, but a lot of the kids were, and you lived under that constant threat. So I, I asked my father if I could leave school at 16, and I was told I'd be a complete failure because if you're at public school, leave at 16, you know, you've broken out of what's expected of you, and I wouldn't be able to go to the best universities and that kind of thing, but I really felt I didn't want to stay at school. So I went to sixth form college and um, did an OND in business studies. Um, I was involved in setting up the Christian Union at the, the sixth form college I went to. And uh, people used to ask me, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And uh, I was always used to say I want to be a, man, a retired managing director. And I always said that right through my early teenage years, I want to be a retired managing director. But I kind of recognised I had to kind of do some work to get to be the retired managing director. So I changed at sixth form college. I used to say I wanted to be a managing director by the age of 30. So that was what I started saying, really, from the age of 16, that's what I wanted to do. So um, did my OND in business studies and then went on to do a degree in business studies in London, which is a thin sandwich course. And uh, I was sponsored by a company called Marley Roof Tiles. Um, so it's a thin sandwich course. So every year I spent six months in London at college and six months um, travelling away and living, working somewhere else. So during that time I actually was a member of 16 different churches. So um, I was a member of Anglican, Methodist, Baptist, URC, and that kind of gave me a really good foundation of understanding all the different churches. I was up in Durham at one type, time, I went to an Anglican church up there, and this guy called George Carey, the pastor, and I ended up being in his life group, so that was kind of an interesting time. And then another placement I was sent to Paul, and I was living in Broadstone, and I went to Chapel in the Valley, which was actually the first time I came across Paul. That's when I was a student, but then I went away again. Um, so that's my connection with Chapel in the Valley and Broadstone in this area. Um, while I was at college in London, um, I pretty much ran the Christian Union for three years on the six months I was there. And I was also the uh, treasurer of the Student Union. And um, over that time, we managed to increase the giving to the Christian Union by about several hundred percent. So the, uh, so the Christian Union was actually the best funded society at the college. <laughs> so... Um, so yes, yeah, so I was very involved in that, and then uh, being sponsored by Marley, um, I was kind of, I was quite well funded, I had a full grant and I had a scholarship, and um, so I was quite a wealthy student, I drove around an MG Midget, I had a nice apartment in London, and uh, I kind of used to find a property and let it out to other students, so I always did free in London. Um, so... Uh, and uh, when I was up in Durham, in fact, I was living up there and I wanted somewhere to live, couldn't find anywhere. And I saw this great big mansion with no one living in it. I thought, I'll find out who owns that, what's going on with that. So I found out belonged to the church army. So I phoned up the uh, treasurer or whoever it was and said, I'm really concerned you've got this lovely big house in Durham and there's no one living it. You're going to get squatters in it. So I said, can I look after it for you free of charge? They said, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I had this lovely mansion in Durham I lived in, and I let out all the rooms to students. <laughs> so I was earning seven, eight hundred quid a week from renting income, <laughs> living free. So uh, I was one of the few stu students earning three or four thousand pounds a month um, from renting. And I actually got another property and let that out as well. So, um, so th yeah, so those are some of the kind of things I used to get up to. Um, so uh, I nearly got to the end of my degree and I just, uh, 
Paul felt the Lord was uh, saying, I'm not sure that I want you to pursue a career in business. And I'd always wanted to be the managing director of a business. And the Lord said to me, uh, I don't want you to do that. And there was a real tussle for me because um, I'd been, you know, got, got an employment opportunity with Marley who'd been sponsoring me to fast track into senior management. Um, I'd been for other jobs as well. I was offered jobs with Cadbury's and several, several other companies. And, you know, I was being offered very good salaries, very nice company cars. At the age of 22, that's really attractive. And um, I really felt the Lord saying, no, and... I can remember one day just um, leaving the apartment and I just felt the Holy Spirit come down upon me and um, I just fell on my knees and I just had to say to the Lord, Lord, whatever you want, I have to go with whatever you want. And uh, I just felt a real peace, but kind of a fear as well at that time. And I phoned up my uh, boss at Marley and uh, said, um, I think the Lord's calling me to go into the missionary fi- mission field to become a Christian. I'm a Christian and I'm not going to pursue a career in industry. And that was like a really weird thing to say that. Um, so I, I've got my degree and um, that summer I went away with Operation Mobilisation um, in France. Um, spent the summer doing that. Um, had some great experiences doing that. So, I mean, one of the experiences was that uh, in those days you had to raise a certain amount of money to, to go away with OM and it was a precise amount. And uh, although I had money, so I could have afforded the money, I just felt the Lord had to provide it that specifically for me. And um, I went to see my grandfather, and uh, he used to often, often give me a fiver for my petrol or something like that. On this particular occasion, I was walking back down the drive, back to my car, and uh, he said to me, Ian, come back, come back. So I came back. He said, come into my office. He went into his desk, and he gave me cash to the penny of what I should have been, uh, what I needed for OM. So I felt that was real confirmation. Um, another quick story when I was um, with OM in France, so I was the uh, driver of the minibus and kind of the team le- leader, I guess. And um, we'd been out there, it's time to drive back to Holland with a minibus, and we literally, literally had no money. We had no money at all. And um, we set off to drive back, and we didn't have enough fuel to get to Holland, and none of us had any money. And um, we were driving up the auto, not the autobahn, but what we call it in France, and um, we had to stop and get fuel. And so uh, everyone was saying, well, we, we can't just go and fill up. And in the end, I said, well, we're going to have to fill up because we can't get to the Holland without filling up. And if we're meant to get back to Holland, something is going to happen. So we filled it up. And the guy said, well, what are we going to pay? <laughs> and uh, in the end, I just decided I'd better go and walk up and pay for it. And literally, as I was walking up the till, this guy I'd never met before came over and gave me the exact money to pay for the fuel to get back. So, uh, so, that, was, um, so that was kind of really, for me, it was just confirming that I was, I was within the Lord's will. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, then um, that September, I went to Bible College and... Um, and spent six months at Cape and Ray up in Lancashire studying the Bible. And um, I basically paid my wife way through Bible College um, because I had a car. And so um, the Bible College rules were you couldn't go to a pub within 10 miles of the Bible College. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I used to run a shuttle service back to the pub and charge the other students for it. So through that, and also I used to, um, there was a fish and chip shop as well, and I did a deal with a fish and chip shop, because in those days fish and chips was 80 pence. So I did a deal with a fish and chip shop, and they grade 
Greece supply me 60 pence a portion. So I used to then go around all the students and say who wants fish and chips for a pound a portion. <laughs> so, uh, so I basically paid my way through Bible College through, by doing the, doing the pub run and fish and chips. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, came, I finished Bible College and, um, and really what, what, what was going to happen. And so, um, and then I was um, asked if I would, uh, by the principal, if I'd consider moving to Poole. And I thought that was quite a good idea because I'd been here previously. And uh, I was asked to run a Christian publishing um, company in, in Poole called The Overcomer. So uh, after Bible College, um, my job for 12 months was really having to read books on revival. And I was forced to read them um, and then have them republished and modernised and then going out and selling them um, to Christian bookshops. So I did that for 12 months. And then uh, the Lord opened up um, a way for me to uh, work um, for the churches in Dorset. And I ended up being evangelism coordinator for Dorset um, and coordinated the evangelism for about 100 churches in Dorset. Um, and at that time, the Bournemouth International Centre had just opened up um, quite a long time ago. And uh, it was the time of Billy Graham had come to England to come over, but Dorset felt they'd missed the opportunity and hadn't had a big mission. And so some of the pastors in the area thought that the Bournemouth International Centre would be a good place for a venue for a mission. So I was asked if I would organise it. So that was kind of my next, uh, next step in terms of what the Lord was calling me to do. And uh, we filled the Bournemouth International Centre up 10 days, 10 days every night, 4,000 people. And I was involved in lots of other Christian work, organised the Jesus film and door-to-door evangelism. We got all the pastors together once a month for prayer in Dorset. We used to have about 100 pastors coming together to pray. And yeah, that, I really felt this was my calling and I'd been right to give up my uh, you know, desire to go into, into industry and business. And then one day, um, out of the blue, um, I was met by some of the pastors in Dorset who felt that it wasn't the Lord's timing for all this stuff to be going on. And uh, basically, even though I'd set up the South West Evangelical Alliance at that time in Dorset and uh, was running that, the pastors in the area told me that they hadn't really got the, the belief that they could continue to fund it, even though the Lord was providing it all anyway. Um, and to cut a long story short, I was without a job, just like that. Um, in my mid-twenties and I was very, very disillusioned and very, very hurt really that, you know, I'd been let down by the, the pastors and the leaders of the churches in Dorset and I'd kind of given my heart and soul into this. This was what I felt God was called me to do. I'd given up my career in industry. I'd given up, turned my back on being a managing director and um, I had to go out and get a job and I did. Um, it was a job earning less than half of what I was was around if I'd been in industry and I felt I'd missed that opportunity and God had really let me down because, you know, I you know, submitted to his plans for my life and uh, here I was, I'd missed the opportunities with the career with the big companies and, uh, you know, I'd been let down by the church and I ended up getting a, for me, you know, a modest job and, um, and for three years I did that job. I did end up being sales director when I was 29 uh, so I guess I did okay but it wasn't really, it was, it was bittersweet. Um, and then I lost that job. I can't go into all details because we haven't got time. Um, and so at 29, I was very, very disillusioned with, with God, with the church. You know, you know, this God who I'd given my heart to at the age of 11 and I trusted him, I'd you know, submitted to you know, his will with my life. Why was I let down? And uh, that was a really hard time. And um, 
I was married to my first wife at that stage and uh, in the end we decided to uh, just go travelling in Africa and we actually spent a year travelling in Africa, um, set out from London, ended up uh, in Cape Town nine months later, 26 countries later, um, had some amazing experiences, saw some great places um, and I guess that could be a whole testimony itself what happened in Africa. Um, but uh, I'll just tell you one story. Um, but one time we were hitchhiking a lift um, in Zambia and this guy stopped and pick us, picked us up. And we'd just been robbed. We had literally nothing uh, at that point. Uh, literally no money, only the clothes we, we stood in, literally. And so we had to go back to Lusaka in, in Zambia to uh, try and get new passports and get ourselves sorted out. And uh, he started telling us about Jesus. So, and he turned out to be an itinerant evangelist. So, oh, amazing, we've got an evangelist who's taking us. He said, the only problem is it's a 24-hour drive. He said, but I've got three or four missions to do on the way. Do you mind hanging out with me? So we said, okay. So we went to the first village, and he was giving it large, you know, sort of uh, doing the whole evangelistic bit, and people were bowing their knees, he was praying for them. And then a bit further on, um, he says, oh, we're nearly out of fuel. So I thought he was touching us up for the fuel, but we had no money. And I said, look, we told you we have no money. Just because we're white, we haven't, you know, we haven't got any money. We've been robbed. He says, okay, the Lord will provide. I saw a man of faith. That's good. And uh, there's a car parked on the side of the road. And I can't believe he stopped, found the filler cap, came off, <laughs> siphoned the fuel out, filled, the, filled his car up. Isn't it amazing how the Lord provides? <laughs> went on to the next village, he was absolutely cool by it. So anyway, he carried on. We nearly got to Lusaka and uh, he said, the Lord meets all of your needs. And he was telling us about how the Lord meets all of his needs. And I can't believe it, it's absolutely true. It came to the red light district and he went off with a prostitute. So, uh, it's, uh, but so many things happened in Africa, I can't tell you about it, but uh, there's a different set of uh, way things sometimes happen over there. So, well, you know, I came back from uh, came back from uh, Africa, no money, no job. I was almost thirty, and I declared I was going to be a managing director by the age of thirty. And uh, I was quite upset. I was disillusioned. Um, I couldn't find a job when I went back. I went to the Dole office and um, to sign on. In those days, it's forty quid a week. And they said to me, "Have you ever heard of the Enterprise Allowance Scheme?" So I said, "No." They thought, well, you can get 40 quid a week doing that, but you can also get some part-time work, so you're better off doing that. But you've got to go once a week to a um, class to write up a business plan um, and you know, show us how you're going to set your own business up, but you can go and do any jobs. It's just probably better for you. So I signed up for that. Went on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. The guy running it said I actually should be running it because I was better qualified than him. Um, but anyway, I, I did that. And... Um, but I was really looking for a job and uh, went to a lot of interviews, nothing happened. Finally, I did get offered a job and it was a really good job in London, £70,000 a year, BMW 5 Series. And I thought, well, this is obviously what the Lord's got. I went through the whole process, 400 candidates, three interviews, finally got this job and I just had no peace about it at all. And yet, I was got no money, I was 30, and uh, I turned the job down, and they were really surprised. Um, and literally the following week, um, one of my old clients phoned me up, 
and uh, said, do you know anything about desktop publishing systems? And I used, had previously been selling sort of typesetting systems, which is kind of similar. So I said, no, but I'll look, up, look it up for you. So I did. I found out about these new 386 computers and the software and stuff. I said, yeah, yeah I, I know a little bit about it. He said, can you supply me a system? So I said, okay, I'll look into it. So cut a long story short, I sold him a desktop publishing system for £10,000. It cost me six grand. I made four grand profit. And he recommended me to someone else. Um, made another ten grand. I was making £4,000 every two or three weeks selling desktop publishing systems. Well, and I kind of, you know, I turned down the job and suddenly I start, formed a company. I made myself managing director. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first year from the back bedroom, I turned over a quarter of a million pounds and made £48,000 net profit in my first year of trading at the age of 30. And that's how it started. Wow. So, um, so, the, uh, so just... Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess... Um, you know, and there's you know, quite a few young people here who are Christians and we brought up in, you know, in, in Christian families, but you know, we all have our own walk and our own testimony and God does it different with all of us. Yeah. But I mean, just a couple of things though. I mean, certainly an encouragement to the, you know, people working with young people. You know, that person I'm sure never understood the implication of me signing that little bit of paper and that actually was fundamental you know, to the rest of my life. So sometimes when you know, working with young people, some of these things you just don't know the impact that's going to have further down the road. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I ran a business, got divorced, nearly lost everything, was in a very low place, um, and just prayed to the Lord that uh, he would restore all that I'd lost through a difficult situation. And I prayed that the Lord would provide me with a new wife, um, that would be, it was beautiful, loved God, I didn't want to have to do lots of dating, and um, my wife will take over from here, I guess. Oh, really? Yes, I do. <laughs> Oh dear, I can't follow that, other than to say that my story is totally different from Ian's in that I wasn't brought up in a, um, a Christian home. I didn't know the Lord in the way that I know him now. I was brought up a Catholic, and that's nothing against Catholicism. Uh, it's just that I knew about this God. I didn't have a relationship with, with, with the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to give a tragic story and how I came to the Lord, but it has been, or rather, it had been a tragic walk. I met Ian um, on a church dating website, and I wasn't un in an unhappy place, but I'd had experiences that had led me to, um, to being on my own with my two children. And I met him... Having signed on the website two days after I signed on, and I'd prayed to God that I'd meet a companion, not understanding quite what I was walking into, I'd meet a companion that I could read with, that this person would love the Lord as I loved him, and that we could pray together. And I didn't give the Lord a description of the person. I thought, you know, 
so Ian turned up. I, <laughs> I, said, no, I said it because yeah, all I asked for, I got somebody who'd enjoy reading, I somebody who's a beautiful wife. Somebody who. <laughs> uh, <ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't specific, just general. In any case, um, we, we sort of took some time, didn't we, getting mm-hmm. to know each other before we met uh, one another. And he had, I think a couple of weeks after we'd been writing and speaking on the telephone, he asked that we would actually meet up. I'm going to tell the truth here. Um, And I said yes. He said, well, book a restaurant and I'll come to London. I was in London. He was in Bournemouth. I'd come to London. London. You'd come to London. (laughs) Yeah, you said I'd come to London, not me. Uh, So I booked a hotel for him to stay in. The Friday that he was due down, I had no intentions of going to meet him. So he called me at 7 o'clock, the appointed time, and I wasn't dressed and because I wasn't going to go. And my daughter, Chloe, who was with me at the time I took the phone call, she knew that I'd had this date set up. She said, Mum, you can't do that. And, you know, knowing my yes being my yes and my no being my no. She said, you can't do that. You said you'd meet him. This person has travelled from wherever to come to meet you. And you can't just let him down. Even if you go to say, no, you know, I don't like you or it's not going to work, but you must turn up. Uh, I, thought, I felt bad about it. So I called him back and I said, look, I'm running late. I will be there. I called a taxi. It doesn't sound like a testimony, does it? But it's going somewhere. <laughs> called, a, called a taxi, went to the hotel. I said to the taxi driver, that he was to wait if, uh, because I hadn't met this person before. All I'd seen was a photograph um, on the internet and we'd spoken a num- on a number of occasions. Um, and not all people who say they're Christians are actually Christians. So I asked the taxi driver to wait out for me. If I wasn't out in three minutes, he was to go. Went to the desk and I thought, this person leaves a message saying, meet me in a room or wherever, that's it. I'm turning around, going back home and the reception, as I approached reception, said, I'm here to meet a guest. He stood up and said, Jerry, and that was it. We went for our meal, and the rest is history in a sense. But I see it as God's provision, because I was perfectly happy where I was. I had my job at the House of Commons. Um, I was doing my thing. I had my friends in London belonged to a vibrant church. I loved my church. And... This person is now in my life, and he's been through his walk. I'm walking my walk with the Lord, a fairly new Christian, not understanding all that went with it. I don't know, or rather none of my family are Christians, all of his family are Christians, and he asks me up to meet his family in Warwickshire. It was your uncle... Bishop Sawford, I don't know, I've got no sense of direction, my geography is really bad, uh, to meet his family, and I'm thrown into meeting a Christian family, I've never had that experience before, and I know the conversation is going to be about God, but what I do know is that God had been there from the very beginning, from the meeting Ian, to getting to know his family, introducing Ian to my family again God has been very integral in that because my parents who will be in church next Sunday because they're over here from St. Lucia who really don't walk with the Lord they are they do the ritualistic Catholic thing 
and have taken to Ian. Now, I was asked whether Ian married me because of my family's wealth in St. Lucia. And a lot of people have said that I married him, maybe because of his family's wealth in, 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 in England. But it isn't. God has been there. God has walked with Ian and I. Ian has come from a situation where I think he thought the Lord let him down. I have come from another place knowing the Lord late. And I'm passionate for God because I know God has brought me from a little village in Labry to this country. God has never let me down. I have never doubted that if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. I ask and I know I'm going to receive. I pray, and I know God hears and God answers. I don't doubt it. I don't think he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. Because God has shown me all the way along. I only have to ask him, and whatever I ask, I will get. And my request is never tiny. My request is always big, because I know God wants to give me big. Not because I'm greedy, because I trust in the God who is able to do all and beyond. So, you know, when I stand with my husband, it's not a case of me and Ian. It's a case of me, my God, and Ian. My children, they're not walking with the Lord, but I'm not worried about that because I know God has got his hand on them. I have asked, and I know God is going to do. He's going to do in his time. He's going to do in his season. Not when I want it, but when he is ready to do what he's ready to do. So I have absolutely no doubts whatsoever. My walk is with God, not with man. I don't trust many people. I trust God because he has been there at times where I felt my face is on the ground, in the dirt. I know God has been there. And I've never been worried that he's not going to turn up. It's only ever been, when will he turn up? Because he always has shown up. There have been times where, just a little story, working at the House of Commons uh, with an MP that I worked with, very demanding, demanding in all sorts of ways that I don't wish to go into. And I had a lot of travel at that time. First class travelling, New York, London. Um, The whole expenses thing, I won't even go into that. But... It came to a crunch where I thought, do you know what? I'm starting this Christian walk. No amount of money is worth risking this walk and this relationship that I'm building up with God. I'm being asked to go all over the place, do all sorts of things that are unsavory and not good. And I had to, I had to choose. And I would go into work, get up, sit behind my desk, and there was a Bible on my shelf facing me, my office backed onto Harriet Harman's office, so her office was sort of, and I'm sure this lady would have heard me crying and singing and praising God sometimes because I would do that now, I prayed God out of my job I remember on one occasion I was asked to go to New York and a suite was booked for me in uh, Trump's Plaza Central Park, beautiful suite, I could have whatever I wanted to, to meet and not to do anything, you know, too, too bad, but literally just to meet and go out with a very rich friend of this MP's, but nothing untoward, just to meet with him. Uh, first class travel there, all expenses paid, etc. And I met this person who travelled from the Cayman Islands. He, he owned a huge estate in Scotland. He came over, met me, we went out for dinners, etc. And he wanted to take me shopping. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable about it. 
because I didn't know this person to begin with, and why would you want to take me shopping? And I think it's St. Patrick's Cathedral in Central Park. He, um, we were going past, and this person was a Catholic. So he said, oh, and he knew that I was starting this journey as a Christian. He asked whether I fancied going into St. Patrick's to have a look at the cathedral, and I thought, yeah, I'll go in. And I spoke to him about the MP and said, look, I'm not comfortable. I have tried to resign several times and each time I've broached the subject or about to say, I really, I want to leave. Something has happened and he's taken the, the words from me, taken the wind from myself and I've not been able to do it. And I really cannot continue working for him. But my problem was my pay. I had a mortgage to pay. I had children to look after. What was I going to do? So he said to me, I was to pray to St. Jude and St. Jude would help me and I knew St. Jude wasn't going to help me because I wasn't going to be praying to St. Jude and I came back from New York went into my office um, in Port Cullis House and I thought this is it I'm going to go in speak to this person and say this is right I've gone on the trip um, um, I've entertained your friend um, who's now my friend um, and I don't, want, I don't want the job anymore. I planned all that I was going to say to him, and it didn't happen. In that time, my husband died during that period. I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I thought, right, this is it. I'm not sure how I'm going to cope with that. During the time I was off recuperating from surgery, I was on my bed, reading the Bible, trying to understand God for myself, and I saw the words in the Bible and I've never been able to find it since. And I don't know whether, and the words were, ask your boss and he will set you free. And I didn't understand. I've never found it again. So I don't know what it was I read, ask and you'll set me free. And I, I thought, I'm going to pick the phone up, ring the office, and that would be it. I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> and... Through breast cancer, God has a funny way of working. He didn't give me breast cancer, but through the breast cancer, I was home for having had treatment. I was home recuperating, and I decided I wasn't going to go back to work. I would resign, and that would be that. Resigning meant I would not be paid. So I took six weeks off work, didn't get a medical certificate, another six weeks, no medical certificate, and I knew I was going to be in trouble, I was going to get the sack, I wouldn't be given the opportunity to resign, went to the doctor, and literally explained to the doctor that I, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown, um, because I couldn't actually step out of the house, etc., so the doctor at the time asked me various questions, and... He asked me whether, no, as I said that to him, I said that I'm not sure what I'm doing in your surgery. I don't need medication. I don't need, I've come in for a medical certificate, but what I actually need is something spiritual. And as I said that to Dr. Misselbrook, I thought, you idiot. And I said, I'm so sorry, you know, you're a doctor and I'm your patient. You've nothing to do with spiritual things. And he said, no, actually, do you belong to a church? And I said, no, I'm a Catholic. Um, and the church was next door, but I don't go to church. He said, have you heard of the Alpha Course? And I said, no. 
And he said, well, I go to a church and the church that I belong to is running an Alpha course. Would you be interested? But I have no idea what an Alpha course is. So I said yes, because I thought if this man is asking me to go to a church, he's going to give me the medical certificate and all will be good and I won't have to. So I took the prescription for Prozac in one hand, my medical certificate, and he gave me the uh, address of the church. I went home and I had no intentions of going to the church. A further six weeks, by which time I needed a new medical certificate, I thought, right, I've got to go back and face Dr. Misselbrook. I haven't been to his church. So on the way to the surgery, I'm thinking of excuses I can give this man. But I haven't, because I thought the church was like the little Catholic church I, I was used to, so everybody could see who you are and see you in church. So obviously he wouldn't have seen me in church. And as I got to the surgery, I said to him, look, before you say anything, I haven't been to the church. No, that's okay. Do you want the telephone number? Ring them up. I'm sure somebody will speak to you. Um, Rang church. And the rest, again, is history. I found, I started going to the Arthur course. And through the Arthur course, I found the Lord. I had this relationship starting with the Lord. I'm still employed by this MP at the House of Commons. And some... Two, this is fast forwarding. Two years later, I have not been into work. I have been receiving full pay. Two years on full pay. Furthermore, because of all the stuff that had been happening with my husband dying, etc., etc., I was all over the place. Unlike my organised husband, I'm not good with keeping good accounts. So everything was all over the place. Bank accounts, um, child benefit. I have never had to deal with child benefit. My husband, previous husband, did dealt with all that sort of stuff. Um, so I would have to give up work, not knowing where my salary was going to come from. And the Lord paid me for two full years at home. And those two years... I actually was confined to my room, to my bed, self-confinement, that is, reading the Bible, finding the Lord, asking the Lord. The Lord taught me to get to know him. I knew God for myself. I found the Lord. I was in an intimate place with my God. I was a happy person. I didn't need anybody else because God was the one who was sustaining me. And eventually I was able to ring the MP and tell him that I wouldn't be coming back. He said, well, I didn't think you would, but I just continued to pay you. But it wasn't him. I, I don't believe it was him paying it. It's God allowing the, 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 pay, the, the pay to go through. So that, that is it. The Lord sustained me through. I grew stronger in myself. I grew stronger in my church. And my testimony again, as I finish off here, is that God works in his own mysterious ways. I thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but God knew what I was doing. God forgave me a number of things that I did whilst I was on that journey. God walked me through. God forgave. I didn't have the perfect upbringing, unlike Ian. I mean, we're, we're a perfect match, actually. Quite opposite. But God did it. He walked me through. I have my parents over here at the moment and jumping all over the place with this story. But my mother will say to me, don't try to convert me. I have never tried to convert anybody. I've had to forgive my mum all sorts of things. 
but that's okay because I don't want to be burdened with somebody else's issues. They've got to deal with that. God has supported me through that. I want my parents to know the Lord the way I know the Lord. I thought I knew the Lord. I knew nothing until the Lord met with me. Now, we're, do, we're walking our walk together. It's not easy. It's by no means easy. We have some difficult times, and I don't mean personally between us, but outside influences. Yeah, ex- <laughs> external influences. Now, when that happens, again, I don't know how anybody else does it. I just stand on God's word, and I stand on his word again, and I don't understand it. And I will continue to stand on his word, because nobody else's word can stand solidly. God does. And he, he just carries it. So what I say here is that I pray with people, I pray for people. Because I can't do for you what God can do. Lots of people come to us and ask for money. And I just think sometimes we do give. But I think the prayer that we can give is much more valuable than any money that we can give anybody. You know, so I think again sometimes the testimony here is people see Ian Melville and Jerry Melville and think, oh, everything's hunky-dory and we go off on these holidays and whatnot. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And as he takes us from place to place, he puts people in our way that maybe we can minister to, maybe we can talk to, maybe I can host in the house, maybe I can just love. And God doesn't ask me to give. God asks me to love because he showed me his love for me. And he showed me his love for me by... My husband, who I, if my friends were here, they'd actually die a death, who I fully and absolutely submit to. I now know how to submit. I didn't know how to submit before, but because of God's love, I can submit to this man. And I think God has given me a man that I can respect, I can admire, I can love. So this is my haphazard testimony because... Really what it is, it's not Jerry, it's God. Wow. I just love having testimony times and we're honoured and blessed to have both of you in the family. Um, Jerry, I don't know whether you can remember one of the first times you stepped through the doors here, you shared with me that you'd had a, a vivid dream. Do you mind just sharing that? Because I think also that that would give the rest of us an understanding of what God's doing with us and where you guys fit into it all. I've had three vivid dreams and they've all been, I say, prophetic and I've seen them come to One's outstanding. Uh, three have actually happened and I've walked it and as it's happened, I thought, crumbs... They're very vivid. The dream, I had a dream. <laughs> Martin Luther King. Oh, sounds right. I have a dream. <laughs> no, but I'm in a tower. Some of you have heard my dream. I'm in a tower. I'm in a building, a solid building. And in the building, it's a light, it's well lit. There are a group of people sitting who I don't know very well. And I'm exploring around the building. It's a circular building. And I know that we're up, here, up above, above the ground as opposed to ground level. 
I'm sort of, you know, looking around and everybody's sat in their little huddle, good word, in their little huddle chatting and everyone's happy. Isn't that, nobody's upset, nobody's angry, nobody's worried about anything. So I'm looking around and in the, if you imagine the old-fashioned turrets or towers, there's slants for windows, no glass, just a hole in the, in the wall. So I'm looking out of that and I can see down beneath us and it's torrents of water going around and there's debris in the water and it's really rough and it's raging around and there's debris, there are carcasses of animals, there are cars and lorries and all sorts upside down. And as it's going, you know it's going in a circular motion, it's taking away bits from the bank. It's eroding the bank as it goes around. I'm looking back into this room thinking, well, nobody else seems worried about it. Can't they see what I can see outside? So I walk out to what is a courtyard, these um, King Arthur films where they're shooting bow and arrows off the, the top to get the people down at the bottom. So I go out to the courtyard thinking, well, something's happening. But the building is steady and strong and it's not, because I'm expecting it, the torrent is so fierce. I'm expecting the building to give way or topple. And that was, that's that, that's a dream. So really what I see myself, where I was, was in a lighthouse. But that's, the dream I had was some five years before I came to the lighthouse. I, I tell somebody at my church about the dream that I'd had with these people, a well-lit room, torrents of disaster happening outside where they were. And the person said to me from church, well, Jerry, don't you realize where you were? Said, no, you were in a strong tower. You were in a lighthouse. And the foundations of the lighthouse are so strong, nothing could actually break it. So when Ian and I came to this church, I'd never heard of the lighthouse before. We got to the gate and the banner was up outside. And as I came in through here, I said, Ian, do you realize what this is? This is my dream. I've actually come into the lighthouse that I saw in my dream. So there's stuff happening, this is timely, there's stuff happening around us now and it's fierce and it is going to take some of us away if we're not, you know, in there with God because that's the dream I saw. But whatever is happening out there, we are safe in here and I don't mean just in this building, we are safe in the Lord, we are safe in our lighthouse, we are in a strong tower, he is our strong tower. So God showed me that, so I know and I know, and I know, as I have a day today, I know God gave me this prophetic dream, showed me where I was going to step into, and also showed me we shall not be shaken. We shall not be moved, because we're standing, and we're standing, and we're standing again. That was the, that was the dream. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. So, God's been speaking to us over the years that he will be gathering to us people coming from um, well the prophetic word that we had was uprooting themselves from large cities and being brought to this place for a specific time and Ian and Jerry have been brought for a specific time for a specific purpose and you know God confirmed it to them before they walked in so that you would recognize uh, that uh, that calling that place um, so I, I want to say to you be on the lookout be ready to welcome 
be ready to receive people coming from all sorts of different settings, ones that we don't necessarily understand. We haven't had the same walk that Ian and Jerry have had, but watch out and look out and be open to pick up the call of the Spirit in people's lives because our role is to welcome them, to make that place of safety that others that God's going to call can come and take their place in. So thank you so much for sharing as you did so honestly, both of you. And isn't it wonderful, all the different colours, all the different um, emphases that the Lord is bringing together in this place. So as we come to a time of communion, Let's come with thankful hearts for the body that he's building in this place. All the different gifts, all the different uh, blessings and skills that he's gathering to us. And come to the table ready both to receive and to give. Um, Paul and I were just chatting before the meeting and we felt that as we come to take communion tonight, we would really like to release every one of you to be an active participant. Come and receive that bread and wine from Jesus, but then be ready to go to somebody and bless them and pray for them. You know, because there is a prophetic uh, gift of wisdom and revelation being uh, poured out in this place and we need to not be passive with it but to by faith step out and encourage and strengthen so really like you to feel free to do that tonight so Paul's got the bread at the ready good so we just put our focus now Lord Jesus on you the one who's come to save each one of us Thank you for finding us. Thank you that your body was broken. You allowed that to happen. That you gave your whole self to win us. And we just want to honour your gift to us tonight in the bread, in the giving of your body. We pray let this bread be blessed to us, Lord, as we take it by faith. You are the one that brings us all, us disparate people from all different settings and places. You are the one that makes us one family. And we want to honour you and honour one another in the taking of the bread tonight. Do you like to lift up the cup as well, Paul? And we also look with renewed joy and revelation tonight at this cup, Jesus, that you took at that last supper and you invited your disciples into, saying, do this in remembrance of me. And how you said, you weren't going to take that fourth cup of the Passover feast, but you would wait and drink it anew with us 
in the kingdom when we come together to be with you. And so in taking of the cup tonight, again, we say in our own way, we renew that covenant, that agreement with you, that we belong to you and you belong to us. Thank you that even if uh, our beginning was as Ian's, a simple, yes, I agree with this, I sign on the dotted line, you honour our early beginnings fragile though they may have been and that you are the one that's faithful to bring us to completion so bless this juice tonight as we come to the table to receive I pray thanks Paul if you'd like to take that round so Lord thank you for what you've done in Ian and Jerry's life Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. You've called each one of us and you've called us together to be a safe place. And tonight we say, we are yours, Lord. You are ours. Enable us to stand on the strong foundation of your word and be a place that you can draw and gather others too in these tumultuous times in Jesus name so I don't know uh, Chris whether you might be able to select something just to play quietly through the speakers at first so that the band can take communion and then if you would like to then once you've had communion Lauren and team uh, play some quiet worship that would be great We're not going to put people on the basis to serve tonight, but when you're ready, please make your way up. Uh, Perhaps take a piece of bread and some grape juice and ask the Lord, who do you want me to go to? And go and minister that bread and that cup to somebody and bless them. Okay, so that we're serving one another tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chris.